Hello and welcome to another episode of Monster Dear Monster, a monster exploration podcast where we take a look at monsters from their early origins to their current pop culture incarnations. I'm one of your hosts, Dave, and this is a special guest episode. We have four guests here today, three returning guests, and one new to the podcast. Of our returning guests, we have Jala. Hello. John. Hello. Desiree. Hello. And Greg is new to the podcast. Hello. It's great to have this many people aboard. Uh, today, we are going to be taking a look at Ghostbusters 1 and 2. So this will be... It'll be interesting. We have not had this many guests on at one time with only one main host, but we will make do. So I'll start off... Uh, Really, with um, we're going to go and kind of talk about how each of us came to this franchise, since it's, it's been long running since we've all been pretty much alive, for the most part. Uh, I'll start with Jala. When, when is the first time that you'd watch Ghostbusters? Just the first one. Oh, I was a very little kid, because um, this movie came out when I was two, so I do not even remember the very first time. I am pretty sure that my parents probably went to the movie theater to watch it. And I don't know if I was dragged along, but definitely I saw it from the time I saw any movie onward. <laughs> and Desiree. So it came out in 1984 and I was born in December of that year. Um, so the movie's probably a little bit older than I am. I wasn't super into watching movies growing up, but I'm sure, you know, at some point it was on the TV in the background. The first time I probably sat down to intentionally watch it was probably high school. Okay, so you came to this a little bit later, but um, yeah, that that's probably... Because of the nature of the film, I think as a child it comes off more scary than uh, when you watch it again later, just for a few of the scenes. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, oh, yeah, that's kind sure. of interesting to, com to compare. Uh, and this is something that we've all, um, as a group, sat and rewatched recently, so we will have that experience fresh in mind versus just like, oh, I saw this 20 years ago and, you know, trying to remember it. Uh, Greg, how about you? Well, uh, I was eight when this came out, so um, I really, I don't remember for sure if I saw this in the theater or if I saw it at home because, uh, because the fact that my mom managed the video store uh, for most of the time I was growing up, um, we didn't see a lot of movies on the big screen unless they were like special, like special, like definitely movie deserving films because films because a month or two after release, my mom would just get a preview copy of it anyway for a store. So we for a store, so we like we watched a lot of movies like at home because of that reason. So um, I can't say for sure which environment I first see yeah, I first saw it in. However, I watched it numerous times, uh, and I do not remember being scared by it. Um, you know, maybe because I was a little bit older, like when this like first came out, but, uh, but any of that, yeah, I, I but yeah, I must've seen this movie. I must've seen this movie by now, at least like maybe uh, eight, nine times probably. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair amount. It's a, it's a, it holds up. I think we've, uh, we've established that. Uh, John, how about you? Yeah, I don't have a clear memory exactly of the first time I saw it. Um, I was also born in 84. Uh, so 
probably not in the theater, I would imagine, uh, unless I would not uh, would have been too young for it. But definitely my parents owned um, the VHS of it, and I saw it numerous times over the years, and they were big into the you know the saturday night live, saturday night live cast members uh that that were represented in the film so pretty much anything that was attached to dan Aykroyd or bill murray uh, was a, a pretty in the regular rotation in my house so yeah i uh, saw it numerous times over the years but not so much the second one but uh definitely that first one yeah i probably saw this when i was five or six um i do recall that at the time all of the, the little uh, action figures were still really really popular and it, it may have been uh for like a re-release but uh there was yeah they, they were it was the toys were out before 89 so there was a uh, like an urban legend that the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man toy was filled with marshmallow if you cut him open, but I don't think any of my friends that owned that were willing to like risk cutting it open <laughs> to find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, like that's kind of a crappy prize. You ruin your action figure. And oh you yeah. get marshmallows. Like, I, I don't on. know. That's just what that was the playground rumor rumor mill. I have a fun story about being a child and it's something about the Ghostbusters. What'd you get? So when I was little and on the playground and I wanted to play Ghostbusters, the boys told me that I couldn't because I was a girl and the Ghostbusters were boys. And so they told me that I had to be a secretary and stay at base. So I looked at my friend and she looked at me. And I said, you know what? I think the Ghostbusters have been possessed. I believe that we are the Ghostbusterettes and we must go and exercise them. And this was, of course, a physical endeavor. The boys <laughs> did not do that again. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds about par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> so as yeah. a side note about the toys, I was surprised to mm-hmm. see. I went. Um, I was in Walmart. Uh, uh, um, uh, a, a couple weeks ago, and I was surprised to see Ghostbusters toys are still for sale, including like a version of the Echo One and also the and also the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah, I think there was a resurgence for those, um, not only due to Ghostbusters Afterlife, but in general, uh, a lot of like early to mid '80s toys um, have come back as like retro collectibles. There's all the original He-Man, a bunch of other ones that have just. Mm-hmm. popped up again and it and they and they've tried to um find like original molds or something the toys look like they would have they're just slightly better painted now mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's nice seeing those bits have... of nostalgia yeah i did not have any of the ghostbusters toys i had lots and lots of teenage mutant ninja turtles toys but i didn't have any ghostbusters toys i was sad yeah yeah yeah, I hear you. Like, I didn't either. Um, I had the Ghostbusters game, like my Commodore 64, which I played the heck out of, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, uh, so for this, um, Jala and I also took the time to read through the novelizations of Ghostbusters 1 and 2, just to kind of see if there was differences between uh, the novelization and then what they um, put on the uh, the screenplay, and... That it's minimal for the most part. Um, a lot of it ends up becoming like extra character development. So uh, let's take a look at what Ghostbusters 1, like what is this movie? 
And uh, these are directed by um, Ivan Reitman and starring everybody. Everybody who was anybody in the 80s <laughs> is in this movie. The plot summary for anybody who doesn't know what Ghostbusters is. Uh, according to the internet, is after the members of a team of scientists lose their cushy positions at a university in New York City, they decide to become Ghostbusters to wage a high-tech battle with the supernatural for money. They stumble upon a gateway to another dimension, a doorway that will release evil upon the city. The Ghostbusters must now save New York from complete destruction. Which sounds way cheesier than like when you're watching it, and I mean, know it's a cheesy movie, but like, it still seems a lot cooler than what this summary is telling me. And I'm like, well, yeah. that's really what it boils down to. But wow, the stumbling, the gateway <laughs> stumbles upon them more or less. Really, is mm-hmm. how it feels. Yeah, and this is a a, a franchise that's not doing. Um, it's not really retconning anything, but it's explaining a lot of stuff that just is cursory mentions in the first movie. And as it, as the franchise goes on and through the comics and the expanded universe of it, uh, we get more information and backstories. There's a, um, Ghostbusters, there's a couple of Ghostbusters video games, of course. Um, but one of the slightly more, what, 2004, I think for, um, Ghostbusters game that just was recently ported to the Switch uh, is the unofficial third film. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's per interviews with Aykroyd and the rest of the cast. Yeah, it's that it's one, one of the endeavors where the entire, uh, pretty much most of the cast was able to reprise their um, their voice roles, and and that's been a mainstay through the franchise and the series that uh, the everyone working on these like loves it enough to try to come back and do more more sequels or just do side work or voiceovers there's uh large um conventions that i didn't know was a thing that's very just ghostbuster centric i mean i can imagine that that's a thing uh these days but it's it's uh, seemed to be uh more uh, rabid fandom than I than I would have thought uh, for a franchise that's been around as long as it has. Well, we were talking about it in the green room, um, but one of the things that's interesting about Ghostbusters is primarily, and why this is on Monster Dear Monster, is because the way that it treats ghosts is very different from any other treatment of ghosts from anything during its time period or from previous you know, or really since, like, there hasn't been anything that's treated ghosts and the supernatural the same way, because, like, what did you have coming out at the time that this was coming out? I, I'm very bad with movies, but I know that when I was little, stuff like Ex- Poltergeist, Exorcist, stuff like that was floating around, like, sequels to Exorcist anyway, um, things like that, where it's, like, out of your hands, you can't control it power, you have to submit to some higher power to even try to fix the situation, whatever, that kind of nonsense, and it was scary. Really, really scary. And, you know, ghosts traditionally were, you know, like a bigger deal than what this movie portrays them to be, because the Ghostbusters, for one, are dressed 
in um, outfits that make them look like they are pest control. And that is part of the whole point is that they really are a pest control for the supernatural. And they normalize ghosts in their appearances. Um, ghosts, these ghosts are not really tied to some deep history of, of the you know place that they're in or anything. Like there are some that have some, some of that information like the librarian, for example, but there are other ghosts that are portrayed that are just like random spirits of things, you know, that just kind of pop up and it's like, okay, why not? Um, so this, like, there's a broader umbrella for the term of ghost than what used to be used for the term ghost, because like a ghost in the, you know, traditional folkloric sense would be like a, you know, disembodied spirit, you know, um, of a particular person, that kind of a thing. It's, this is not necessarily that. There's some that are, and then there's also inclusion of like, you know, Sumerian gods and all sorts of other stuff that's not a ghost, but it also is, is included in here and under the category of things that the Ghostbusters will go bust, you know, like uh, it's kind of interesting that way because it's pulling more than just like the traditional concept of ghosts. And I think that's really why it has staying power is because it is unique in its presentation. And that really kind of resonates with folks. That's just my opinion though. What does everybody else think about that? So I was actually going to comment comment on that myself later on, Joe. I agree with that 100% because it's like, you had ghosts in the media, of course, for a long time before this movie came out. Like, you know, you had like detective stories, uh, pulp fiction in the 40s and 50s and 50s that used like ghosts and ghost possessions and ghost hauntings and whatnot. You had other, you had, you, you had other uh, computer games time periods such as the Alone in the Dark series that featured like ghosts. But, 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 but as far as actually Ghostbusters is unique in, 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 in the sense that it's the first time in media, popular media at least, you actually had somebody actually fighting ghosts, actually trying to actually, actually, actually trying to defeat them and trying to actually like get them back away from where they came from because most of the time you just dealt with the ghost you didn't actually like do anything about it now actually here is a chance of like you actually like fighting ghosts in almost like a good versus evil context almost and like that and that concept has had that kind of kind of kind of stayed in the media in the years since then because you have a bunch of other movies um and tv shows and and uh, and books and whatnot that, that that follow the same premise so i think ghostbusters definitely opened the door up for that whole like genre of fiction and, and cause people to see it in a way that they had seen it previously that is very true and that's kind of like it's interesting that ghostbusters got taken into that kind of a direction because in the movies they're not they're they're trapping the ghosts and they're containing the ghosts and they're basically like trying to figure out what do we do with these now that we've got them in this containment unit um and you know the thing that they've got is you know like their equivalent of having a mouse trap that they're walking around with and and that kind of a thing they're not solving because a lot of times the way that you would handle ghosts in the past would be calling on the power of god or helping the ghost um uh, solve whatever thing that they couldn't uh do during life that was causing them to still stay restless and still linger in the world whatever's causing them attachment and that kind of thing 
you know, and the, the Ghostbusters aren't concerned at all with the actual ghosts' rights. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not about what the ghost, you know, why the ghost is there or what the ghost wants. Like, they are not, per, you know, personalized that way. They do not have characterization that way. They have character, but they are, you know, critters. They're they're pests. They're just things to, okay, throw it in the containment unit, you know, that kind of a thing. They're they're not uh, presented at all in the same way that any other media before or since. I think. I mean, I'm sure there's there's something else that now cribs off of Ghostbusters and has that kind of pest vibe, but. Ghostbusters was really the first time in popular media that I think you ever saw that. Yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head that do treat the ghosts that way. Uh, there's a few precursors that don't deal specifically with with ghosts or these thing extra dimensional things. Uh, an example would be Kolchak Night Stalker. That's another one where the the protagonist is basically a journalist dealing with like weird crap, and so it's just another everyman. And not even like a specialist having to deal with it. He just gets involved in weird stuff and that's just becomes his way to pay the bills. Um, kind of like how the Ghostbusters have done. Uh, but seeing uh, the other thing that that posits is there are, uh, because we know that some of these ghosts are the ghosts of people, like they have a history and now they're just being shoved in like a little jail cell. Uh, it's like what what re- what's remaining of them uh, that is still human? Like that's not something that the series like looks at or like really dwells on at all. Uh, and I think that that's part of what gives it that sort of longevity uh, because it's treating the ghosts in that particular manner uh, and not r- r- raising up this like existential dread question of like, well, if you die, you degenerate into some kind of monster and then you're just stuck zooming around bothering people like that's horrifying until you're trapped and then shoved in a containment unit with 70,000 other ones and then squished in there real tight until they have no more room yeah like (laughs) that's terrible so it's it's um that part of that treatment is definitely part of that longevity not only because it's unique but also because it doesn't wet the big stuff <laughs> only the small stuff yeah so Desiree like with that in mind like what when you're thinking of the ghosts in Ghostbusters and that that's that's such a broad encompassing idea like what do you think when watching this that it like should have had more of because that that would be when it, when we're re-watching these and going like you know what there's not actually a lot of ghosts in this ghostbusters movie yeah so the this is an interesting take on what ghosts are and what ghosts mean to people because generally ghosts are a representation of the fear of death and the fear that there is nothing after and we are just meat sacks decomposing beneath the ground. And so ghosts are frightening because it is, you know, you don't have a ghost until death occurs, but it's also generally reassuring because it's indicative of the fact that there is something after. So ghosts like the librarian 
you know, show people having attachments to places and then being able to perpetuate the things that they loved in life. And so I think like Jala mentioned the idea of, okay, well, now that's a person just being shoved into this little prison cell is um, kind of reminiscent. We see the Ghostbusters heritage in later things like 13 Ghosts. Mm-hmm. where the ghosts are used as a battery, again, to power a technological machine that living humans have developed. And so if I thought anything was missing in terms of the Ghostbusters movies and franchise, it would be that sort of context of, okay, well, we're capturing them because they're pests, but what then? What What's next? Um, in terms of the ghosts themselves... I do think it's interesting that there's variety and like Slimer, you know, the iconic ghost of the Ghostbusters franchise. But for me, I'd want more of a folklore type perspective of what in the heck is Slimer and why is Slimer a thing that is happening? Yeah. And speaking of, yeah, Dave, <laughs> speaking tell of. Us, you've got Tobin's spirit guide I, as yes. referenced from the movie. <laughs> this this is this is true. So uh Slimer himself and a lot of this is uh the the Tobin Spirit Guide is a the official like movie tie-in guide that was released um between Ghostbusters 1 and 2 and then they did a revised one when they did the um Ghostbusters all female well, I, the name escapes me. For that. Yeah, the 2016 movie. Answer yeah. the Call. <laughs> Answer mm-hmm. the Call. Yes. They, they re-released one specifically to that because that was kind of resetting some things. Uh, but in Tobin's um, spirit guide, Slimer is the green ghost who is a class 5 full roaming vapor formerly anchored to the 12th floor of the Sedgwick Hotel since the 1920s. And his origins are possibly a hungry spirit conjured by the cult of Gozer. The aftereffects of its presence include the persistent stench of rotting meat and increased heaviness to the air. It is a glutton and can never be sated. So it's they're pulling from other mythologies. This would be analogous to like a preta, like a hungry ghost from Buddhism mm-hmm. uh, and, and Hinduism. Uh, and that I, I wish the movies dealt with that more. I feel like they they dug a lot deeper and had time to play with that when they did uh, the Ghostbusters uh, animated series and Extreme Ghostbusters. Like since mm-hmm. that was a kind of creature of the week format, uh, they they had to look at inspirations from other things, and though those uh, those cartoons um, and the comic books are filled a little bit more with that sort of thing, where there's uh, there's even a Cthulhu, <laughs> like they just mm-hmm. they just start digging around and sort of mashing pop culture and uh, legends together to like make something possibly spookier but still i can't even say that the cartoon's kid friendly because it's not like (laughs) i watched a few episodes again i'm like you know what this is actually kind of creepy you know it's still it's still it's a kid's show but it's that idea of not treating like kids love spooky stuff and and not treating kids in that way where you're like oh here's your like I don't know, puppies and sunshine or something like it's not Casper. that kind of. <laughs> yeah. Well, even the Casper movie is 
has more horror to it when you were like going, oh, wait, it's a real boy. <laughs> like you just just think, oh, Casper was just always a ghost. <laughs> you know, and that, that kind of angle. Uh, I want to say, too, that somewhere, I don't know if it was an interview or some of the back, like I did a lot of research for the show. <laughs> so somewhere it was talking about Slimer having been based on like a, a 20s gangster yeah like he's supposed to be like a 20s gangster actually originally in his life so they probably changed that and and expanded on it but you know originally that's how they were thinking about him although i don't know how his behavior in the movie has anything to do with that it doesn't uh, the animated series version of him he like talks kind of like a little bit oh, okay there may have been one where he has a cigar and a little hat so. oh okay i feel like if that didn't happen it should have (laughs) like my memory is putting that in there somewhere now excuse me while i google yeah excuse me gangster slimer yeah that was actually a very good point like about the a point like about the cartoon perhaps being like a bit too scary for kids but uh because i only watched yeah because i watched both of them i I didn't think so but i was also like an older kid and i guess maybe what the target audience was like that's like that stuff but I also think that just like Ghostbusters itself probably probably allowed a whole bunch of other related related media to come out over the years. I don't think like I don't think we would have even had like things like maybe like Goosebumps like it's like we didn't have the like, Ghostbusters um, Ghostbusters cartoon because it's like that kind of opened the door for like that kind of media for kids. If, like that makes sense. Yeah, or scary stories to tell in the dark, which came out mm-hmm. uh, a little bit after this. Um, yeah. So th- those. Those are something that I feel kind of went away. Like they don't like those things still exist. Like they didn't, they, they themselves didn't go anywhere. But the in the creation of more things like that aimed at kids um, it tapered off somewhat. I, I think stuff is labeled kid friendly and it's kind of like dumbed down. Whereas kids can deal with a lot more stuff than people want to give them credit mm-hmm. for. Yeah. And ghosts are uh, one of those things. Like. I don't know. Well, they, I mean, they, they, that's why they had a resurgent of like, let's do the, um, the Goosebumps movie. And, um, I think House with the Clock on its Walls and stuff that I remember like reading when I was a kid and then going, oh, that's kind of creepy. And then like, oh, here's a movie for it finally, you know, or, or, or some like uh, other adaptation of it. Um, apparently Jack Black's been a driving force for <laughs> bringing back weird, spooky stuff for kids. Like, uh, what is that? class class rock 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 school school of rock <laughs> something like that anyway uh yeah so john like the kind of the same question like what it with ghostbusters what do you feel like if anything it's like missing like because it, it's a pretty straightforward movie and there's not a lot that happens and it just kind of ends yeah so um I think that there's been uh, in recent years, there's kind of been a, a a reanalysis or a reexamining of like the Walter Peck character and his role as antagonist to the Ghostbusters. He's a government bureaucrat that obstructs them and kind of gets all up in their business, but raises, a, you know, some very real uh, concerns with regards to some private company that, you know, uh, kind of what he's worried about is that it's a snake oil operation 
and the Ghostbusters are extorting people and putting on pyrotechnics shows to try and fool them into giving them thousands of dollars per trip and do a bunch of property damage and endanger people. But like the greater kind of question in the context of, no, they actually are ghosts and they are busting them with, you know, thermonuclear laser beams that they've... <laughs> Un unlicensed <laughs> nuclear reactors on their back. Exactly. Yeah. That they, they turn on and then very quickly stand very far away in the elevator <laughs> away from. <laughs> but like, um, you know, there's then then you have to ask the question, well, should this be a private company that does this or should this be government regulated? And I believe he even says he's with the EPA or something, right? Like, yeah, he's with the Environmental Protection Agency. Right. So they it's an odd choice to cast him as, uh, you know, they call him a pencil neck or a nerd or whatever. And he's he's very clearly, you know, lambasted by the end of the proceedings because the Ghostbusters are found out to be in the right of things and only they can save New York. And I get all that, but like, it's, it's just weird that like, I, I would think instead of, if you go into the future and you have, you know, a Ghostbusters franchise and, you know, there's one in every town and they're cleaning up ghosts, I would think it would be like, the government would have a hand in that. It would be heavily regulated. And if it, it wouldn't be, it should be. Well, right? and particularly if the ghosts are former living humans, you know, who has the rights to capture grandma? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, just some, some acknowledgement, like Desiree was saying, of like, you capture them, and then what? Like, what's the end game here? What do we do with them? I think the cartoon goes into some more like uh if memory serves there's an episode where one of them gets sucked into the containment facility and they like see yeah. where they're putting them it's yeah, like I, I go ahead believe yeah i think you're right about that i, I vaguely remember that i mean it's kind of like some extra dimensional space where they are separated from people and can't cause them harm but like again this is just human beings like trying to control natural forces that they're not 100 percent even understanding so like once again human beings create technology in an attempt to control that stuff and don't really think about the consequences other than oh there's a giant rat in my house and i need it to go away so don't really care how just get rid of it mm -hmm. yeah and the and the technology that they're dealing with is experimental and very dangerous they like regulate like, yes like well, have you crossed the streams? Oh, yeah, that could just obliterate the world as we know it. Like, well, that's not something. I mean, well, yeah, that's <laughs> maybe that's you shouldn't clearly, have that. <laughs> that's clearly evoking like the re very real fear that people had that the atomic bomb was going to set the atmosphere on fire, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like maybe it burns off all the air we breathe and we all die. Maybe who knows? Yeah. Let's drop it. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. You know, the thing is, is that all of all of that stuff, I feel like, is just kind of when they first made the first movie, they didn't know there was going to be a number two. They were making the movie, had the idea, rolling with it with a lot of the same folks who made stuff like Caddyshack, Animal House and so on. And so, like, you know, they had a certain vibe they were going for. They were trying to make it funny. They were trying to make it, you know, pretty much what it is. But, you know, they're definitely without realizing it perhaps they ended up ex ending up making a whole new ip out of it that really has 
not to my knowledge explored all of that stuff i don't know because i haven't read any of the ghostbusters comics at this point in time um but i am curious about them because i hear that they're really good um i don't know if they're available digitally but i am not going to go and try to find physical copies of them at this point <laughs> they are very expensive <laughs> like yes. there's there's nice omnibus versions it's like oh i'll get that for podcast research and yeah that's not in the budget <laughs> yeah like at all Every yeah, now and then they do like do a reprint of those. So, so if there's all I can do is just cross your fingers. Like cross your fingers. I hope for like reprints. Yeah, that was the yeah, hope because I... of Afterlife having come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they and they did and know... um, crossovers with all of the other Ghostbuster spinoffs. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that they want to make an Afterlife too. I don't know if Afterlife did well enough for them to continue, but. Um, you know, I would think, especially since I know this is not the movie we're talking about here, but like in Afterlife, the ghost of Egon comes back in the movie. Well, that's a ghost and they're not busting it because that's like not a pest ghost. So you might I, I might hope that the next Afterlife movie, like in that, uh, you know, new generation of, of busters would think more about that and consider that because that is something that hasn't been brought up um at least not in the main line entries and main um methods by which fans of the series have come across it like I, it might have been in the comics but it definitely wasn't in the novelizations the actual movies the video games yada yada yeah it's kind of implied that there's that there's that there's, that there's good ghosts and bad ghosts, and not the like that. The Ghostbusters movies, you're only seeing the bad ghosts, the ones who are causing problems, and like you know. Oh no! You know, oh no! There, there is uh, the one that went down on Dan Aykroyd. He was perfectly fine with that ghost and left that oh, yeah. one alone. <laughs> not only did he leave it alone, but in Tobin's spirit guide, he goes back to study that ghost several times. <laughs> M- many times he visits it. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> So there's there's ghosts that they leave alone, or at least like they're not gonna bust them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and that's something um, the Ghostbusters themselves are uh, they're they're not like specifically archetypal, but they are set in a way that each of them is is um, like a cornerstone of the team like the team doesn't work when you know one of them is missing well actually um when i was doing some research Ackroyd referred to spangler as the brains stance as the heart and bankman as the mouth of the ghostbusters that makes the tin man the lion and the scarecrow so sort of an archetype <laughs> <laughs> and then well and what's Winston? Dorothy. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the only practical one of the bunch. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's pretty much Ghostbusters one. They're they're big the big uh bad that they have to deal with um is is Gozer the Destroyer. And Gozer the Gozerian. Yes. Who is who ends up having like a billion a billion titles, but and a, a whole cult devoted to to Gozer. 
and then Gozer as an entity in the franchise uh, pops up multiple times, becomes kind of like the through line um, as a, a... The Dracula, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, kind of. If Dracula could could, uh, dif- could attack you by using your imagination against you. Which is, I think that that's really fun. Uh, what they could have done with that. I mean, they, they came up with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. That's iconic for the series. And then kind of like too much so. I feel like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man did the same sort of thing that um, Pyramid Head ends up doing for Silent Hill. Like didn't like was for a specific thing and then just kind of pops up later for no reason and that we get that sort of with the state of marshmallow man yeah that's definitely the case there and i was just thinking about it um gozer only says choose the form of the destroyer the first time and doesn't do that again so like that's not even like a consistent thing i don't even know why that was like you know in the first movie, it makes sense, but it's weird that any other time Gozer comes back, that's not a thing anymore. And yeah. instead, uh, Gozer just uses, like, lightning or whatever. Yeah, and it should be a new form every single time, because that's that's been the, the lore within Gozer, is every, every epoch that Gozer arrives, uh, the people have to choose the form of their destructor, and they do, and generally are destroyed like in a terrifying way and thankfully uh ray did a good and picked like a crappy <laughs> stay puff marshmallow that just wasn't equipped other than to like godzilla into the city <laughs> and by the way like all the melting marshmallows once it's exploded that would have just been the burns would have been so bad like, yes really really bad absolutely <laughs> But what about some of the other critters from the movies, um, the first and second movies? Do we want to talk about any of those, like the library ghost or? Yeah, we have um, the um, the librarians, the like terror dogs. Yeah, we do have the terror dogs. So those are the uh, the keymaster and the gatekeeper. Gatekeeper scared me yes. very badly when yes. I was a child. Mm-hmm. Especially when they just sit there and scream from inside your fridge. No specifically one the one that chased that. uh the one that chased lewis tully was very very scary to me yeah and that's something that the uh the, the terror dogs and even some of the other ghosts um later in the series or in spinoffs uh the the idea or the way that they do the possession is like fully uh you don't get a choice like unless you somehow blocked it from touching you <laughs> you, you, yeah, you got there's your no agency. Like that's it. it. If it touched you, it's it's over. Um, and usually yeah, you, you don't to, even get that option. You have to roll a hundred on a hundred sided die to get that result. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, uh, look at like Dana's case. She gets pinned to a chair and sucked into the kitchen, and that's it. It's like okay. At least uh, tell you got to like run around and try to evade. Um, Vince Clortho, but yeah, they're, they're, I think as creatures, they're iconic. Like that, that feels cooler to look at than the marshmallow. Mm-hmm. Of but, course, 
the marshmallow man the very first time you see him you bust out laughing uh, yeah because so, it, it's just that like what <laughs> yeah um but yeah the the, the terror dogs um in of themselves uh have been with gozer since the beginning they were his um like left and right hand uh cult overseers uh and to to gain more power and to be able to stay in the other dimension with gozer they had to take the form of the teradox they originally had human were humans uh, and then they assumed the form of the teradox um in order to like magnify their powers but because they're the uh the gatekeeper and the keymaster uh they they have to unlock the gate um by physically joining <laughs> so they have to possess people again uh in order to do that and that's uh i think that's something that this this series is one that uh it you can watch this as like a child and just that's not gonna compute you're just watching it and like oh there's there's ghosts and some spooky stuff and then as an adult you're like oh okay yeah there <laughs> that's what's going on here uh and then it, it makes it a little clearer in afterlife when i was little i knew what was going on and i was like oh my god i can't believe they just did the thing but anyway <laughs> also dogs can have sex so they could have very well stayed in terror dog form to do that but whatever we're not talking about that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like in the original movie, like the the dogs, the terror dogs are not ghosts. Do they? Did the Ghostbusters actually shoot them with their proton packs, or do they uh, just ignore them? They like, just ignored them. Well, they didn't want to because uh, when they when they encountered them, they were possessing um, Dana. Oh, and, that's right. Um, okay, Tully. So they mm -hmm. were like, "Don't shoot them. They're they're not. They're just transformed people." They could have uh, all just been thrown off the top of that building by those terror dogs, and that would have been the end of it. Yeah, I mean, they anyway. almost were with you. If, yeah. it, if an interventional being, being asks you if you're a god, you say yes. And <laughs> yeah. They learned that <laughs> lesson. But, uh, yeah, I don't think there's much else in the first film. There's the taxi driver. There's the, yeah, the taxi driver and the librarian, basically, and everybody else is just kind of random. Groups. Yeah, they just fly by and make a people scream like there's not a bestiary they don't show them long enough to like go oh that's you to identify them readily and uh even the like the librarian her story is resolved i believe in either the game or like in the comics it's not dealt with in the movie like they don't go back to catch her um it's all done off screen and they end up finding her it feels it's probably done in the video game because they they find her uh her corpse in a secret catacombs beneath the library she was originally the head librarian in 1924 and had disappeared uh, and had been haunting the place since but they, they find her corpse and then she turns back into her bestial form and they have to battle her in order to um, put her in the containment unit so very very video game sounding uh, outcome for her uh we have the taxi cab ghost and th with the same thing with slimer uh the the smell 
and presence of the taxicab ghost is is bad and that's not something that like the movie ever portrays like you don't mm-hmm. get like other than there uh, the ectoplasm is uh, unpleasant to like have on your body they don't go like oh what's that foul odor like i wish they did i wish that was something that if these ghosts have that kind of if they're bringing something else uh and you're using that to like invoke more uh more sense of like presence of the ghosts like mm-hmm. that's something that they could have done uh just for the actors and, and things to to make this seem more uh fleshed out like more realistic and as much as that's going to be like it's it still needs to be kind of cartoony but giving it some of that would i think be more fun mm-hmm. like the most we get is is the, the, the sort of the mood slime from ghostbusters 2 uh yeah so let's let's scoot on to ghostbusters 2 this one was uh, 1989, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think on this has been this has been a, like a point of contention, I think, through the fandom. I I want to say that I had liked Ghostbusters two more as a kid. Like when I watched it, I think I liked that better than the first one. Mm-hmm. Same here. Desiree, uh, between the, you watched these, well, we've all watched these more recently. So, out of the two, which was your favorite? So, I think I liked the second one a bit better. Um, it was also a movie I, again, don't think I actually watched all of in completion until. Oh, and there's a cat. Um, I don't think I watched all of it in completion until I was an adult. So, I'm sure I. You know, if I'd seen it as a kid and had that nostalgia, maybe the first one would have had a better impact. There were definitely ghosts that scared me more in the second one, for sure. Or had a bit more of an impact. Like, the mink coat ghost is definitely something that Mm -hmm. creeped me out. Um, Coming from my mother's father, who was a hunter and had, like, a huge elk head on the wall just imagining something like that coming to life is terrifying for sure so mm-hmm. yeah overall i'd say i prefer the second one and how about you greg um i so i also did watch ghostbusters 2 uh when it first came out at home and i've also seen it uh, seen it a lot over the years um i still think number one's better i think both movies have pros and cons to them um, there are things that two definitely does a lot better. I just think overall, and, but I can't say, um, I can't say this is influenced by nostalgia because like I said, you know, even though there was five years separating these movies, I was still a kid when both of these came out. So I've seen both of them numerous times, as I said, I just think overall that one sits better for me personally as a, per, 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 uh, um, a person, because I think that. I think that the pros outweigh the cons more in that movie. Ghostbusters 2, I think, has several problems, which I can elaborate on later on, which I do, which I just think that that movie just simply cannot like, overcome. Uh, um, Ghostbusters 2 had a very troubled development period, and I think it shows in the production of that movie, basically. Um, so I just think that one's like a more better, better crafted, better flowing movie to me. Hmm. And I, I had missed you on the first film. So uh, if there was something you think it was missing, like what, what would that have been? 
Oh, you mean as far as the pros and cons? Like, it's pros and cons, for, like for Ghostbusters first... one, like, is there something yeah, yeah. that you would like have liked to have seen or like maybe had had more of? Uh, one thing, well, one thing I really liked in Ghostbusters 2 that the good first movie didn't ever have, uh, the first movie didn't ever have was the character development. I mean, you really saw people like, you know, like grow and evolve as characters like in that movie. Uh, because it's because the first one is more faster paced. You're just kind of like, okay, here's, here's the setting. Here's the background. Let's go fight ghosts. That's it pretty much. So the second movie is a bit slower, but the second movie also, I think does a much better job about like, expanding the characters, kind of making it more humanizing and kind of fleshing things out. And I, th- and I think that's better. I also think that the, um, I also, I, um, I also think that I also think that the overall ghost battles themselves are better in the second movie than the first movie. So I would have liked to have seen, uh, the first movie, the first movie, the idea world combining the combining the pros of both movies that could be great. <laughs> yeah, and the but, thing is, is that like, um, the novelization, for example, have a little bit more characterization, and while reading that. I definitely felt like, you know, it would have taken just like a 30, not even 30 seconds for them to put in this little clip of Ray and Winston hanging out because they're actually good buddies and they're like best friends. They go to each other's houses and hang out and have dinner together when they're not working and things like that. They could have done that. They could have expanded on the fact that Winston has like this whole laundry list of places that he's worked he's like ex-military who worked on these high profile projects and things and like that's his qualifications and why he you know is at the ghostbusters and you know gets the job it's because he's already overqualified for what they want um but the way that they actually portray it in the movie cuts all that out and makes it he's just rolling in and he says i don't care I will believe whatever you want. I'm just looking for a paycheck, you know, and that's his, that's his same attitude in the novelization. However, he also has credentials out the wazoo that they never expound upon. So he just seems like a guy, you know, and you don't have any context for him and no, um, you know, ties really of him to these other three guys who have known each other a long time. But in the novelizations, it just takes, you know, a little bit of extra time to just have, here's Ray going over to Winston's house, you know, kind of thing. And that's why they're best buddies. And that's the stuff that was missing that I really think that that would have really made it better because you have a lot more time with all of the other guys, like the guys who were scientists. You don't have as much time with Winston who comes in later in the movie and isn't part of the established group. And it would have done a little bit more justice to him to have some of that information or some of those little moments, even though the first movie is far more action oriented and has a faster pace to it. uh, I think that they could have still squeaked in a couple of things here and there just to tweak the dialogue a little bit to make some of that show through. So, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with all that, Joe. I think Winston, unfortunately, kind of gets the shaft in both movies. They don't really, they don't really, they don't really develop or flesh them out as much as the people, unfortunately. But um, I, I also, um, uh, I also, uh, I also, I also thought the, I also thought, thought the first, the first movie had better jokes. I thought the, I thought the overall comedy theme worked better in the first movie. 
Yeah, I think overall there were a lot more jokes in the first movie than the second movie, but that's also because they were introducing elements of drama in the second movie. Of course, with Janos, there's a lot of hilarious things that happen in both the, the novelization version of it, where he's kind of rolling his eyes at Vigo and is just like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, I've heard him, he says this every time, you know, that kind of thing. He actually does that number um and that could have been portrayed in no time at all on the screen if they had wanted to um peter mcnichol think, does some work in this film he is oh he does extremely good he is so good like janos is probably the thing i remember the most about ghostbusters 2 and probably the reason why i liked it as much as i did to be honest because vigo the carpathian is not a compelling villain but to me neither is gozer so i don't care about either of those Really, it's just like the drama of this child that, you know, is Dana's baby is being taken over. And then also there's this, you know, doofy guy. And it's very great when they're like, where are you from? And he's like, the Upper West Side. <laughs> it's great. His weird Eastern European. Yeah, his Eastern European-ness. And he's just, they're like, where are you from? He's like, I'm from here. Duh. You know? Very good. Yeah, we should probably have to mention that real quickly that the acting in both movies was great. They really got some great people to like start these movies. Oh, for sure. And it's funny because they, especially on the first movie, they had so many different people that they were intending to cast for different roles. Um, Aykroyd, for example, wrote the script intending to co-star with Eddie Murphy and James Belushi. How different would that movie have been? <laughs> but Belushi died before this movie was starting to be filmed and everything, so Aykroyd could obviously not do it with Belushi, and then it kind of went from there. Um, but also, other actors that were considered for Peter Venkman, other than Bill Murray, were Michael Keaton, Chevy Chase. Now think about this in your head. <laughs> Tom Hanks, Robin Williams, Steve Gutenberg, and Richard Pryor. How different would that first movie have been if any of those guys were actually Vankton? No, I want to multi Sorry, go ahead. I could see Michael Keaton pulling it off. Yeah, I think he could do it, but like it would be the other actors I feel would bring so much of their own character to it that would have been so different that like the the movie would have had a very different tone to it had any of those other people like Richard Pryor oh my gosh could you imagine what that would have been wow <laughs> yeah I kind I kind of like want to see like if they had a ha I they probably didn't but if they had like line tests like if they're just <laughs> reading for the lines and then doing some of the stuff it's like that would have been fun to see that's always that's always great when you see movies and have that was alternate. Um, I guess uh, a good one would be with them filming a, a, a pretty like a quarter of Back to the Future with Eric Stoltz in it instead of Michael J. Fox. So that's they. I mean, they were already doing that with a few of the films, and then just didn't work out. Mm -hmm. So what is um what's the what's the plot? What's the uh, the, the, the bees knees of ghostbusters 2 are you asking jala 
you have to, okay <laughs> okay so according to the internet the plot of ghostbusters 2 is after saving new york city from a ghost attack the ghostbusters a team of spirit exterminators is disbanded for demolishing parts of the city during the battle but when ghostbuster peter vankman learns that spirits have taken an interest in his ex-girlfriend's son the men launch a rogue ghost chasing mission the quest goes awry quickly landing them in court but when the ghosts turn on the judge he issues an order allowing the ghostbusters to get back to work i mean yes that happened <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the summary and it's like wait a minute what about Vigo the Carpathian the haunted painting and the killer of men and whatever that takes over Janos the art restoring guy like that's not even a summary I, I don't know that was from the internet it's not my fault that doesn't that doesn't talk about his throne of bones and river of blood like boring okay you tell me about the bones and the river of blood then I don't I don't know. That's just he he wants to tell everyone about his that's I really wish the movie had done that now. Had him like repeat his entire monologue at least once to Janosch. <laughs> just well, like, okay. Well, that that was only in the novelizations unfortunately. I know. Oh. Oh, oh I I like that he he does show up again in the um the video game. And he just he he will do his speech if you just talk to a little his painting that's sitting yeah, in the video game's very good. It's worth pl- office. Yeah, it's definitely worth playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think in this in this particular one, I I liked this more because it felt like they were doing more with the Ghostbusters. Like they they seemed, I mean they they they're running themselves ragged. They had to clear the whole city. They're just they've become. They're trying to become a, or they become a brand. So they're they're going to birthday parties, and they're they have uh, the Ghostbusters song is an actual song that exists, you know, inside the Ghostbusters universe that they can sing, and so that's it's it's real charming. Like that, I think is more fun um, than the first movie, uh, but it again it doesn't have it. I think this moved. Maybe move really quickly. I think it's it might be longer, but it it, it seems like it it starts and then it's just like over with. Oh, they they defeat it's the same thing like Vigo. They defeated him. Okay, it's over. And that happens in the first movie with Gozer. There's a big build up and then it's just kind of like a a two minute long like okay, that that was it. I feel well, like. So I mean, there's only so much. Yeah, I know. I know there's only so much they can do, but it doesn't. Um, it for them being Ghostbusters, it doesn't ever dwell on like that part of the job. Like that's just the job, and so you don't ever see them doing like that part of it. It'd do like maybe a little montage of them catching some ghosts, but I, I wish there was like a little bit, like one or two more of that. Something that. I just think it's missing. Like for Ghostbusters, they don't get to bust a whole lot of ghosts. Like it's all off screen. And you know, that's, that's, that's budget constraints too. Well, that's also like, it takes time for repeats of them busting ghosts. Cause they, it's an extermination business. So they would be 
doing it over and over and over again and it would get pretty rote pretty quick i think and that's probably part of the reason for it being so sparing but one thing i did want to mention about the second movie versus the first movie is that the ghosts in the second movie are more grounded in actual these are people like the yeah. ghosts that were mentioned that attacked the judge or the scolari brothers who you know, were violent criminals and they actually show up in electric chairs because they were sent to the electric chair by the judge and that's why they have a grudge and came back. There's a jogger ghost that's just going on a morning run. That's all he wants to do. <laughs> he's he's doing his marathon slut. training and he died yeah. in the middle of his rounds and so he just thinks he's still running. <laughs> so there's still Slimer, of course, but... And there's other random stuff like the slime, the the slime of the, the negative feelings of all the people <laughs> in a... New York underneath the city, which is such a weird idea. Um, anyway, the slime gets animated and it animates a toaster that they put it in. But there's also like a train full of ghosts, you know, and a ghost a slash ghost train. There's the mink coat that was already mentioned that is dead animals that come back to life on the lady wearing them as a coat. There is yeah. There's the, the Titanic. Ba bathtub the ghost. <laughs> well, the bathtub is the slime. It's yeah. just the slime coming out. Um, but there's the Titanic and all of the ghosts. Like the Titanic arrives in the harbor, and all of the people who died on the Titanic come off of the ship. So it's it's not all 100% grounded in um, critters because there's also uh, or grounded in people. There's also like a theater ghost that has a bunch of eyeballs that just kind of flies by. And there's also like a big ghost in Washington Square, and it looks more like a demon than it does a ghost in the way that humanoid ghosts look, you know. But there are definitely several different um, ghosts presented that actually look like humans and actually look like, you know, spirits that are continuing on from their life. So that is something that I liked about the second movie is because they actually have specific people that they used to be that are still being represented by their spiritual form. Hmm. I haven't seen anything confirming this, but I'm confirming this, but I'm, uh, uh, but I'm not percent sure that Vigo the Capithian is supposed to be like based off uh, like validity and power. Yeah, they, they probably did that. I don't, I don't think I saw something going one way or the other, but that's a, pro a pretty good poll. <laughs> mm hmm. Of course, they couldn't do Vlad the Impaler, because if they did, it'd be like, no, now they're fighting Dracula, but, you know, so. I mean, Peter McNichol is Renfield for him. Yep. This is true. So what do you, John, what do you think about all of the ghosts and all of the differences in two versus one? What, what's your favorite? Which which of those do you like better? And then what do you think about the ghosts in two? So I think, um, my, to my knowledge, it was actually surprising when, when you both told me that um, you thought 2 was the, the better movie. That was a unique opinion from what I had heard um, generally. Uh, but I, you know, I, I don't know exactly what gave me that impression, just talking to people um, over the years about their preference for 1 over 2, um, just because maybe they'd seen it more. I don't know. Um, I think the... In terms of, of creatures, um, you know, two seems definitely more varied with the, the different uh, representations, like you said, the, the fellows in the electric chair and 
and all that. That that's very evocative imagery. Um, you know the 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 kind of uh, what do I mean to say the pathos or the 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 opportunity of revenge that the, the the people who are executed try to enact on the guy that sent them to the chair. Right? There seems to be a clear motivation for why those two ghosts are there um terrorizing that particular courtroom they, even though they manifest because of vigo's like weird slime stuff like that that is a uh, i think you pointed out earlier that gozer slimer is is in the universe because of gozer's cult and activities so these these uh appearances are incited by the the main driver of one or the other movie's plot but they definitely seem uh the 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 two executed criminals definitely seem like they they are uh themed correctly for the the place that you find them and i i think that's interesting definitely um and i would say i guess that the second movie tends to pull that trick off a little better than the first i guess I think that's also probably because of budget reasons. Like they couldn't, part of the reason they couldn't with Ghostbusters 1 is they didn't have enough budget to do a lot of the stuff they wanted to do. So they had to be very sparing with their use of the supernatural looking stuff, which is probably why they had Gozer incarnate into a physical form and everything like that. Um, and then why the terror dogs ended up um possessing the two humans is so that way they don't have to be on screen as much you know like that's economical for what they were dealing with for the first movie the second movie did have another a bigger budget um but it did have a troubled kind of development cycle so you know overall like i although i prefer the second movie for a variety of different reasons i like both of the movies in different ways they both Basically, they seem like almost two different movies because the second one is more drama focused. It's more character driven. And the first movie is, you know, riding on the jokes and just being action and, you know, fun, just kind of bouncing around between things and, you know, giving you impressions of things like a big drive by. So um, both of them have their pros and cons, like Greg had mentioned. Uh, I like them both differently, but overall, the ones that I have, you know, the, the entities and the situations that I had the stronger impression of when I was little was, the, you know, stuff from the second movie. So, I think the reason the second movie, since a movie is often regarded to be inferior, is because it didn't do as well in the box office. And if you still look at mm -hmm. the critical reviews and, and Rotten Tomato scores of today, it still gets a, um, it still gets a lower score than the first movie does. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that when people were going into Ghostbusters 2, they were expecting a repeat of Ghostbusters 1, and the sure. style of the movie is different in Ghostbusters 2, and you have to be willing to suspend that expectation, but when people in 1989 were rolling up to watch this movie they were expecting more of same, you know, like Police Academy 7000 or whatever, you know, like more of the same thing because it's the second one in the series. It's got to be, you know, kind of continuation of the exact same thing. But what they were doing when they were making Ghostbusters 2 was trying to expand on it in a way that 
I don't think the audiences at the time that it was released were really looking for. So, and that might just be me. Um, it's probably still the case that people likely probably would rate the first movie higher than the second one just because since it is a drive-by um and it doesn't take like a more considered look at anything in particular it has a bit of cohesiveness and a zippiness to it that is not found in the second movie the second movie is slower it's not as action-oriented it doesn't have as many jokes and those are all things that people were looking for after the first one Yeah, when well, the movie sure. yeah. the the first one had the benefit of like you know Dave and a few others mentioned earlier of being the first time anyone had seen something like this. So the second one had a lot to live up to and as Jala mentioned, you know I do prefer the character development type work that's done more in the second one. Um Sure, it is a bit more of a serious tone, but it feels like they also put a bit more careful and intentional thought into the types of ghosts that were presented and sort of delving into the why of the ghosts as opposed to the first one, which sure might be more fun if you're looking for a more humorous experience, but the second one just feels more intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the and the missing bits um, in part two, like they're not necessarily missing, but that needed expounding upon. That the novelization does take it does address a lot of those issues because it's not hampered by budget. It can sit there and take the time to uh, talk a little bit more about some of the hauntings that they're resolving, a little bit more about what's going on in like the drama sense of it, but not feel like it's padding the movie with it too much. And that's something that the first one did as well, where it's giving it's giving backstories to um, all the Ghostbusters and giving you like how they grew up and kind of what made them how they are today. You find out that um, like Venkman is he grew up in a, a carnival. He's a carny and he's a was a barker, and so like those things informed how he got into academia and like why he's sort of rebelling against a lot of it and just kind of does his own thing. He's just trying to make ends meet. And then it it takes the time to explain specifically like how Ray got his inheritance um, that, that he used to get the house to uh, put down as collateral against the, um, the, the Ghostbusters firehouse headquarters and stuff. So it's like, it's things that aren't necessary for the movie, but, give you a better picture of the Ghostbusters as a whole, and I think gives a better sort of identification with them and builds on them as characters in a way that the movie, like, isn't quite as free to do. And I I wish it sort of extended that to the ghosts. It it doesn't do that as much, um, but that personally is what I would have kind of wanted a little bit more was like, oh, give me a flashback of slimer you know do a little bit of that to build up this um the 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 wider universe rather than focusing quite as narrowly on the guys that are doing this job 
Whereas I just wanted a big kaiju fight with the Statue of Liberty at the end. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really. He just kind of steps on the thing to let them in. That's <laughs> could have. I, I think budget is the 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 real enemy there of that piece. Like they just ran out of money. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's that's pretty much Ghostbusters one and two, um, and as we mentioned, it 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 spins off into comic books, uh, to other film films as they are, and then uh, a few video games that some of them tie in a little bit more than others, and we'll uh we'll be returning to kind of take a look at those uh a little closer, and next time I will have my <laughs> Tobin Spirit Guide with me because that's what i was missing so <laughs> but i think that'll probably wrap us up for this one uh and then just kind of everyone uh if you have closing thoughts um on these first two films jala oh one thing that we were talking about in the green room and we didn't mention it in the episode thus far was um how busting ghosts is portrayed here versus how actual ghost hunting in our world is. Now, Dan Aykroyd has a history with uh, spirit, you know, spiritism in general. Uh, his family has been deeply involved with um, that kind of supernatural exploration and seances and hunting for ghosts and things like that. So he's been fascinated with it for a very long time, and I think he's part of the um, Society of Paranormal Research or whatever it's called. Um, so he's deep into this stuff, and that's why he wrote this, you know, script in the first place. Is he made a funny off of the thing that he's very familiar with? Um, actually, his father wrote a book about um, just his family's history with spiritism. And it's called A History of Ghosts. And I think it's, what is it, Peter Aykroyd, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's Peter uh, Aykroyd. And um, that mm -hmm. one is more like a general overview, but deals with uh, this, sort of the state of paranormal, not really research, kind of research, but uh, just what existed um, in the last hundred or so years and, and how that's, changed like how there's been more advances in that field and i've been on several different ghost tours in the past um in different locations and one of the ones that i went to that was in saint augustine florida actually went into some detail about how people you know hunt for ghosts or find evidence of ghosts like how do they do spirit photography well this is some of the ways you know that this is how well how do you know if there's a spirit around well there are some signs that will help tip you off and you can use these tools to help you figure it out and the video game phasmophobia is actually a pretty good representation of how ghost hunting works uh at least insofar as the drive-by looking into it that i've done um here and there and also in preparation for the show so um that is actually a pretty fairly accurate uh, representation of it although you know super gamified and all of that but um so that that's something that's interesting to note because in the 
movie, they have all these high highfalutin dongles, you know. Um, they've got their proton packs that are nuclear reactors on their backs and all this other stuff. Well, Ackroyd had actually sat there and dreamed this stuff up, talking to other folks who were into paranormal research and, you know, discussed you know, theoretical ways in which one might be able to trap a spirit. So, like, there actually is some kind of research behind the stuff that they show in the movie. And I think that's very neat that they have that kind of uh, grounded presence for all of that. And I think that's also something that is often lacking from a lot of um, media that has ghosts in it. Like they don't, they, they might take some ideas, but they don't have like somebody who's really steeped and deep into it behind it. You know, like they are, doing a drive-by <laughs> and saying, hey, I picked up a couple of words. I'll I'll throw them into this this thing or a couple of ideas and we'll put those in that movie, you know, or whatever media. So. Yeah, some movies have kind of anyway. played with it a little bit. Um, and we get some in Poltergeist and then later on with the, um, I want to say it's not, it was not the conjuring it's the other series that came out the exact same time uh it, maybe it was a con it, maybe it was the conjuring but they they have um you know specialized researchers um that were that are using this the general standard equipment um uh, that you find in uh popular culture for, for hunting ghosts and um, try to make more of a science out of it and less of a scare yourself in a spooky house with some like a video camera. <laughs> so what's funny is, is the Canterville ghost actually has a ghost hunter show up and it has that whole deal, but then they end mm -hmm. up resolving that story in like um, a, uh, you know, like the classic way. It's not in the original Oscar Wilde piece, but it's in one of the various incarnations of the movies in more recent times. So, that's yeah, fun. Sorry, you were saying. Well, I mean, it's it's that same <laughs> idea where they had, um, you know, a scientist come in and, and they're trying to prove or disprove a ghost. And in that one, I think he's ostensibly summoning the spirit of the Canterville ghost's wife. To, to scare mm -hmm. him with <laughs> so yeah. well it's well, so, yeah. yeah but but things like that and ghostbusters itself sort of making uh the ghost busting and more of an everyman thing is is i think the precursor to these other ghost hunter shows where it's just anybody can, you know, if you have these few pieces of equipment um, and they're not terribly expensive, um, you too can go look for ghosts. And Okay, that, maybe not trap the, them unless you have a nuclear reactor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can't catch them, um, but maybe you can catch some audio of them and uh, interact with them in some way. Uh and that and that's been played on in 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 movies since movies have been a thing uh because people like to scare themselves mm -hmm. 
but yeah uh so has anyone else had um these kind of ghost uh tour excursions greg how about you yeah uh, yeah I, yeah i yeah i live near salem massachusetts and of course salem's famous like for the witch hunts uh and um and uh well witch trials and everything else so um they do so they do a bunch of like ghost tours and like and like you know like um these these hauntings of like haunted houses and whatnot especially around like uh, um especially like around the halloween that's their bread and butter so um not really not really any paranormal investigators coming in from the outside because it's all like being done for the benefit of the tourists so these are all like you know active uh um it's like an active ghost town that makes sense but mm-hmm. um but yeah but yeah they do have like actual ghost to ghost tours of like okay you know like you know these these people lived here they're convicted with their you know they were convicted and uh, convicted and killed because of witchcraft. Their their ghosts have been reported to be haunt the houses, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, and, and, and you know, and they also do things like you know, like um, like like haunted hay rides and other um, you know, uh, and, and like you know, like midnight graveyard ghost walks and that kind of stuff. Also in that area too. So yeah, that's all like pretty cool. So like for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that's probably the closest. Close enough. Actually, I've been to that kind of stuff. I've never, I've never seen a ghost. A ghost. I'm not even sure I believe in ghosts personally. But um, you know, if you get the chance to go to Salem and do that kind of stuff, like it is, like very fun. Yeah, it's it's yeah, definitely it an, an industry. Um, you can find ghost tours in uh, most cities. It's easier if it's an older, established city that's been around for a while. So the East Coast has a, a better run of it. But um, I know. There's a few um, Winslow, Arizona. There's a couple of places, um, any of the gold rush areas, uh, something where like life was tough for a while. Um, usually gets presumed to be haunted. Uh, John and Desiree, how about, how about yourselves? So I'd say my earlier interests and like uh, delving into ghosts came from a folklore base so local ghost stories and things like being from Terre Haute Indiana and there was a local legend about a dog that died and was then stuffed and put in the mausoleum of his owner and you could hear him howling and they nicknamed him Stiffy Green and people would break into the mausoleum to try and steal the dog and so just you know all of the ghost stories and stuff that you here when you're a kid lights and and stuff yeah yeah there are phantom lights and the lights were just reflections because of the location of hills and valleys and such and the way headlights would hit but um Terre Haute had a pretty big folklore uh culture Bloomington too Bloomington Indiana as well it's a folklore museum or something yeah and then where we are now in Kansas um just a few miles away, there's Stull Cemetery, which is supposedly a gateway to hell. Um, and, you know, here in Lawrence, there was a very bloody battle during the Civil War. And so there's a lot of rich historical folklore type context around ghosts and things like that. And for me, I think that's the most interesting piece is for the people who believe in ghosts, you know, why do you believe in them and what is it that's appealing? Is it that aspect of, you know, you don't lose your loved ones. There is something that continues on afterward um, versus, you know, and then we're trying to capture them and 
trying to capture images and sounds and things like that. So I've had that experience of just telling stories, but also going on things, you know, like Greg mentioned, so haunted hayrides and stuff where they mention, you know, probably embellished stories about local ghosts and things that happened. And so just that idea that similar to Ghostbusters 2, that places are affected by the emotions and impacted by people and there are those echoes that continue long beyond the time that we exist yeah and that's something that um, I, I haven't personally gone on any tours or things like that i've seen them i've seen them advertised uh, there was quite a few of them in like baltimore or some in california uh, but I, I grew up in Europe and have been to a, a large selection of old monasteries, churches, um, castles, big cathedrals, things like that that have just been around for a very many hundreds of years, very long time. And the the sense of age and of people having had been there for so long uh, is, I think, something that's palpable. Um, and would would con contribute, I think, to any sense of um, ghosts or spirits. Uh, and and there's ample folklore for for uh, you know all over the world. It's just a thing. Um, but uh, for sure, in in most of Europe, uh, that would be more familiar to uh, anyone in America. Is is like that that just that sense of the past. Um, still being like here where it's a younger country so there's not as much of things that have been around for so long a couple hundred years uh but when you're running to a place and it's like okay these this particular church has been here for 500 years uh that the, the sense of that is um stronger uh and and I think a lot of that also has to do now with like the way buildings are constructed. They're not, um, an example would be like in Arizona, they're not made of brick. They are made of styrofoam and chicken wire and some pieces of like a frame. They don't have as much of a, like a personality to them. So I think just older style buildings or uh, old growth forests, things like that. Um, have that sense to them where there can be more awe and more something beyond like just our regular like waking lives not only that but i also feel that part of it is just a search for interconnectivity people want to be feel like there is some connection directly from wherever they are and you know, whoever they were with or are with and whatever they're experiencing, they want that connection between them and the world, them and, you know, people who have gone before them and all of humanity. I mean, like you can look at it in a variety of different ways, but mankind has always been like that. There's, you know, lots and lots of evidence of ancient people's also having that same sensation it's not i think these days it's both uh lacking in some folks because they are so steeped in the here and now that's always so fast moving and 
you know, there's so many different things going on that they don't take the time to stop and think about that. And most people uproot themselves and move from place to place quite often during their lives and, you know, reshape their lives over and over again. They don't have as much connection to place as folks used to have when they were staying still for a long time. Like they might live and die within 10 miles of their house, you know, their birth house. And that's not the situation these days. So um, there's both a vast lacking of that kind of desire or sensation, as well as um, like a kind of replacement, because now we're online and everybody can just kind of talk to everybody else and be on the social network and always be plugged in. And that's a way to stay connected to everybody and have that sense of, you know, continuation that you know folks previous didn't have unless they believed in in you know spirits and things like that and the place itself having its own kind of soul so i think that's kind of where some of that comes in and of course, like this is um, in, an American perspective, but that's because in America, that's the situation. There are plenty of places in other areas of the world that people still live and die, you know, within 10 miles of their birth house and things like that. Um, but that interconnectivity is only ever growing. Uh, everybody is getting online and being hardwired and, you know, meeting each other through you know, the internet and, and having that connectivity, no matter what, they have lots of videos, lots of photos of stuff, at least from the last several years. And, you know, before that, we had actual physical cameras, we were toting around. So, you know, uh, it's easier to kind of get that sense, I think, these days with our technology, that folks didn't have before which is why ghosts are so fascinating and why people are driven to uh, go and poke and prod and try to ghost hunt I think that's related in some part it's related to a sense of loss that these things that were such a mainstay in culture since the beginning of humanity basically you know like that is just slowly but surely, you know, not being talked about as much, not being, um, you know, pursued, thought about, considered. And so there's a sense of loss. There's a desire to do that. There's also just the driving urge of all of society to explain everything, of, of humanity in general, to explain everything to death, to learn everything they can, to conquer every part of nature that they can and you know there is no limit to what humans can discover and you know figure out and so ghost hunters i feel have that kind of also like desire to have answers you know well how can this experience be a true experience that all of these different people from different walks of life have had and whatever well what what is going on here actually I want to know, and so I'm going to go seek it out. Yeah, and it's something that people can, like, tactilely explore. We, it's, we can't 
by and large, just go into space. You can't go in. We're limited by just general technology and how far we can go into the ocean. So this is something that people can kind of like accessibly try to explore um, within their like means. And I think that that's also <laughs> part of like what's made Ghostbusters itself is give it its longevity is like that that identifiability mm -hmm. yeah i think that that's probably that's probably it for this um episode uh we will will reconvene at a, at a later date to um finish off some of the other films uh have our handy dandy tobin spirit guide with us next time <laughs> <laughs> to look more specifically at some of the ghosts and i will see if i can get a hold of some of the comics uh or or, or a few of the animated series episodes to kind of bolster the uh, there's a large run of specific ghosties in this in this series um and talk a little bit more about those rather than uh our our put upon uh long labored ghostbusters so we'll That's do a little good. bit of our admin here uh jala where can folks find you on the interwebs should they so choose i am a rotating host on the level podcast that's thelevelpodcast.com you can also find me on the internet where i am to be found at Jalachan, J-A-L-A-C-H-A-N. Greg, how about yourself? Uh, well, I do a podcast, a Super NES podcast with my co-host Joe. Uh, we cover Super NES games. Uh, you can find that on Facebook, um, or you can also just do like a Google search for it. It just, it's just like, like just call it the uh, SNES podcast will come right up. Uh, so that's a bi-weekly podcast where we just talk about like various old Super NES games. And Desiree. I try to stay hidden as much as possible on social media, but if folks want to follow me or chat, uh, I am available on Twitter, and that is at dnyens, so D-N-E-Y-E-N-S. And John? I uh, don't post a lot. I post, uh, you know, repost things I find funny sometimes, and uh, usually hang out on Twitter, uh, at Tethelus. T-E-T-H-I-L-U-S. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at sentinut underscore plus. Uh, all of the aforementioned uh, links will be in the show notes for everyone. You can find the podcast itself at mon underscore D monster. And my wayward co-hosts, Cameron, is uh, on Twitter at night underscore twitten. And that's night without a K. And Leonard is uh, Dr. Faust is dead. Yeah, um, thanks for joining me for this Ghostbuster chat. It was great to have all yawn. All yawn. Okay. All yawn. <laughs> no, not all yawn. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again sometime. Um, yeah, it was fun. So this is us signing off and bye-bye, folks.